Well, welcome back to our series called Race to the Cross. Uh, what we're doing is we're walking through the book of Mark uh, from now until Easter morning. Uh, and what we've seen from the book of Mark is that uh, Mark is very different than the other Gospels. The other biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, Mark is different in that he doesn't focus so much on what Jesus teaches and says, but more on what Jesus does. And so you're not going to get a lot of parables in the book of Mark, but what you are going to see is Jesus act and move and go quickly. Because Mark has two goals. Number one, to prove that Jesus is the powerful Son of God. And then number two, is to prove that Jesus, this powerful Son of God, is a suffering servant who dies to take away the sins of the world. And that's what we've seen over the last two weeks. On the very first week, we saw that Mark says, I've got good news for you. And it's not some program, not some plan laid out, but the good news of a person, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Last week, we saw how Mark told us about Jesus having authority even over demons and the devil. He's the powerful son of God that even of the scariest things in the world, demons, the devil, Jesus is far more powerful than them. He simply speaks and they listen. Today, I want to start by asking you this question. If Jesus were right here today and you could stand before him and you could lay your, your need, your problem, your biggest problem that you have in life, if you could lay it at the feet of Jesus, what would it be? In Mark chapter 2, a man had that exact chance, that exact opportunity to lay before Jesus his biggest problem, his biggest need, his most obvious problem that he could have. He laid it at the feet of Jesus. Let's see how Jesus responds. Before we jump into Mark chapter 2, Jesus in Mark chapter 1, where we left him, was in Capernaum, which is on the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee, up north in what is known as the Holy Land. Uh, So he's in Capernaum, and he's becoming this rock star where everyone's looking for him while he's off praying, and Peter comes and finds him and says, Jesus, all these people are looking for you. Almost like, what are you doing up here praying? People are looking for you, Jesus. And Jesus says, let's go to the surrounding villages so I can preach there because that's why I've come. And so Jesus does a tour around Galilee preaching. In Mark chapter 2, he comes back to Capernaum. That's where we pick up. The first four verses here. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Let's stop right there. Jesus is becoming quite the superstar, isn't he? Notice, he comes back to Capernaum and people hear about it and they find out where Jesus is, what house he's in, and they come and pack it. Shoulder to shoulder, out of the door, so no one can get in to see Jesus anymore. His fame spread like crazy. Today, it would make a lot of sense, right? 
uh, we could text, social media. Imagine if Jesus were, were alive and walking around here today. Uh, people all over the world would be coming to him. Word spread so fast by just word of mouth that wherever Jesus went, this is what happened. People crowded into homes to hear him. And it's when he's in this house preaching that four men bring their friend who's paralyzed. They carry him up and they want to get him to Jesus. But they can't get through the crowd. And so what do they do? They climb up to the roof. How in the world do they do that? Carrying a, a paralyzed man. First century homes had a flat roof and you didn't access it by a, a ladder. You access it by a staircase which was attached to the house. It was built into the side of the house. And so they didn't climb up a, a, a ladder. They just walked up the stairs to the flat roof and they started digging. How do you dig through a roof? Uh, first century homes, the, the roof was uh, built with interlying uh, branches, a layer of, of leaves and, and mulch and, and, and uh, things like that. On top of that was compacted dirt so that water couldn't get through. And so they just dug through all of that. Now imagine being in the house, listening to Jesus. This hole didn't just appear out of nowhere. So you're, you're sitting there listening to Jesus and all of a sudden some dirt falls on your head. And you look up and, and you see someone's digging up there. And suddenly there, there's a, a hole, a big enough hole where light is coming through. And then it gets bigger until you can see someone's face. By now, everyone in the home is quiet, looking up, wondering what's going to happen next. And then the hole gets big enough where they start lowering the man on his mat down to Jesus, and a gasp comes over the crowd. Because everyone knows what's happening. This man wants to be healed. And I wonder if the people in the home had already started thinking, I'm going to see a miracle. And then, who am I going to tell about this? Uh, I'm going to have to tell somebody. And it's quiet as this man is dropped before Jesus. Now imagine being that man. How many times in his life, how many days, had he daydreamed about walking? How many times had he thought, if only I could walk my life would be completely different. If only I could walk, things would be completely, would change everything for my life. How long had he daydreamed about this very moment of being healed? And then there's news. Jesus of Nazareth is a healer. He's healing all these people. And now he's dropped in front of Jesus with his need, so obvious what would yours be? If you're standing before Jesus, if you're lying before Jesus, what need or problem would you want him to take care of? What is your obvious big need in life that if he just took care of this, my life would change? It would be different. Is it debt? Is it 
some kind of relationship problem? Is it that you don't like your job? You work so many hours, your, work life, your home work-life balance is not good, but you don't see a way out because you have to provide for the lifestyle that you're living. And so there's no way out. Is it cancer or some other kind of disease? Are your kids going through some kind of hardship and if Jesus would just take care of this, my life would be a whole lot better. Whatever it is, this is what the man had the opportunity to do. He's lying before Jesus. The need is obvious. And he's going to be able to hear Jesus tell him, get up and go. Today's going to change his life. How does Jesus respond? Everyone's looking, waiting to hear Jesus speak. And he opens his mouth and here's what he says. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. I'm sorry, Jesus. I thought the need was obvious. <laughs> I thought the reason why I was here was obvious. I can't walk, Jesus. Uh, that's great you forgave me, but I'd really like to be healed. Would you be disappointed if you're that man? Would you be disappointed? If the need and the problem that you have, you, were brought, you brought it to Jesus, and the thing he says to you is, your sins are forgiven. If you're thinking to yourself, yes, and the reason you hadn't nodded your head was because you're worried that I'm going to judge you, <laughs> I would be. I would be disappointed. Jesus, I'm here for an obvious need. You're healing everyone else. I hear about it. And I'm here and I trust. I know you can help me. I know you can heal me. I know you can cure me. I know you can take it away. And you're going to tell me my sins are forgiven? That's great. But I've got this problem. Is Jesus telling you your sins are forgiven enough? If not, why not? I don't know about you, but I, I can tell you why sometimes it's not enough for me. Because too often, I minimize sin. Too often, I don't realize just how big of a problem my sin is. But Jesus knows. And so Jesus looks beyond the obvious to take care of the ultimate problem. It's your first point today. Jesus looks beyond the obvious need to the ultimate need. And that's not to diminish the obvious problems that we have, the big problems, the big need. Uh, that's not to diminish just how hard they are. This man is paralyzed. That's not a small thing. That is a big deal. His life has been completely impacted. And if he could walk, his life, he, he wouldn't have the problems that he did. It would probably uh, be from a quality perspective better. And you know what? Your life would be too if you didn't have your problems, your need as well. It would be easier if Jesus just took them away. But do you know what Jesus knows? He knows that the obvious needs come because of the ultimate need. 
Here's what I mean. If sin wasn't in this world, would there be financial problems? Would there be health issues? Would there be broken relationships? Would there be the problem that you have? Would we have the worries of life? Would our kids go through hardships? Would we have the problems that we have? Would there be paralysis in the world? No. All those things are in the world because sin is in the world. Jesus knows that the ultimate need that every person has is that we have sin in our life, sin in the world, and what we need is a repaired and restored relationship with God. And yet that's not deep enough. Jesus goes deeper. Because what does he know about our obvious needs? None of them. Paralysis, financial problems, the worries of life, none of them will land us in hell. But sin will. Sin has completely disconnected us from God, and if that isn't repaired, if that isn't cured, we will be disconnected from him forever. And so Jesus looks beyond the obvious to the ultimate. This man needs to know that his sins are forgiven. You and I need to know that our sins are forgiven. And he's, it's what he wants us to know. It's what he wants the man to know. Yes, I see your obvious needs, Jesus says. But I've taken care of your ultimate need. Your sins are forgiven. And he doesn't say God forgives you. He just announces it. Your sins are forgiven. As if he has the authority to do that. Because he does. This is good news for the man. It's good news for us. But there's some people there who didn't like what Jesus said. Here's what we're told. Verse 6. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Stop right there. Who can forgive sins but God alone? The question's right. No one can forgive sins but God alone. They're not wrong. Their conclusion is wrong. Their question's right. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Nobody. Only God can. Therefore, Jesus is blaspheming. Why? Because they don't believe he's God. There are some people who, many commentators, many, many critics of the Bible who, who say that Jesus never claimed to be God. Maybe you're one of them. Uh, and it's true. Jesus never in Scripture straight up says, I am God. But you know what he does? He claims to be able to do things and say things that only God can do, like right here. To the point where his opponents realize what he's claiming. He's claiming to be God, to have authority to forgive sins. And Jesus knows this is what they're thinking. And so what does he say? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or get up, take your mat, and go? 
It's far easier to say your sins are forgiven. Nobody can prove it. Jesus can say, yes, I forgive the man's sins. The religious leaders say, you can't, and no one can prove it. But you know what they could prove? If Jesus said to this man, get up, take your mat, and go, and he doesn't get up, take his mat, and go, then Jesus is a phony. And so Jesus says, I want you to know that I have authority to forgive sins. I want you to know that when I say your sins are forgiven, they're forgiven. So he says to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go. And the man stood. Having never walked for who knows how long, and he walked out in full full view of them all. Think of the healing that is. No rehab, no having to learn how to walk, no having to strengthen the muscles first. He gets up, muscles work, brain tells legs to walk, and he gets up and he walks out like he's been doing it for his whole life in full view of them all. And it was amazing. But why did Jesus do it? The miracle was not the point. It pointed to the main point. Jesus did the miracle. He healed the man and had him walk because he wanted people to know. He wanted the religious teachers, he wanted you and I to know that he has authority to forgive sins. That is why he does the miracle, and the man walks out in front of them all. Your second point today. Jesus heals the obvious to prove that he is the cure to the ultimate. And we say, great. Now do that for me, Jesus. (laughs) Prove it to me. I want you to know, I want to know that you have authority to forgive sins. Heal me. Do a miracle for me. Take my problem away, and then I'll know that you have authority. I don't want this to be offensive, so I don't mean to offend you. But Jesus has done something greater. He's proved something way greater than just healing you or taking away your problem. He's done something far greater than healing this man to prove that he has authority. About three years after this event, the Jewish religious leaders arrested Jesus. On what charges? Blasphemy. What they accused him here. And they led him to Pontius Pilate, the governor of the, Roman, uh, of the Romans. And with the help of the Romans, they had him crucified. He died. But three days later, the grave was empty. He rose from the dead. Why? The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, he says, He was delivered, Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins, but raised to life for our justification. He was handed over to die on the cross for our sins, because of our sins. But he was raised to life so that God declares you and me, so that Jesus declares to you and me, you are not guilty. You are forgiven. You talk about a miracle. How about dying and coming back to life? Not resuscitating, not dying and someone brings them back, but dying and raising, rising from the dead with a glorified heavenly body. That's what Jesus did. In the same way, when you die, Jesus is going to raise you back to life with an immortal body that can never die, with a heavenly glorified body. That's how Jesus rose. No one in the history of the world could do that. No one in the future will be able to do that, but Jesus can. You want to talk about a miracle 
to prove that Jesus has authority to forgive you your sins, he laid down his life and he commanded it to come back up so that you know that he has authority to forgive sins. And that's what he wants you to know today. Your sins are forgiven. He has forgiven you everything that you've ever done. Nothing and no one can take it from you because he has the authority and no one can challenge his authority. He is the authority and that's the point of this account. That he forgives sins. And when he tells you your sins are forgiven, they are forgiven. That's the point of this miracle. As we leave here today, I want to briefly touch on three application points, what this account teaches us. Three applications. Number one is the whole point of this is what I just said, is that we have needs, yes, but our ultimate need is sins forgiven. And Jesus does that for you. That is the greatest need that we have. That's the greatest need that your children have, is that their sins are forgiven, and Jesus has authority, and that is exactly what he's done. And that's what this account proves. Number two, this account can help us make sense of uh, of senseless tragedies. There's a commentator in in the 1800s, not a commentator, a, a theologian in the 1800s, who said this about this account. Who can doubt that to the end of his day, this man would thank God for his paralysis? Without it, he would probably have lived and died in ignorance and never seen Christ at all. Without it, he might have kept his sheep on the green hills of Galilee all lifelong and never brought to Christ and never heard the blessed words, your sins are forgiven. Who can tell? But it was the beginning of eternal life to his soul. Some of us come to Jesus because we have nowhere else to turn, because we have some obvious need that nothing in this world can help, that we can't do on our own, and we come hoping that he helps us with the obvious need only to find something much more blessed. We hear the word, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Maybe whatever need you're going through, whatever's on your heart, whatever you're bringing to Jesus today, that that thing that you wish he could take away from you or would take from you, maybe it's serving to bring you to him so that he can tell you your sins are forgiven and you know the ultimate problem has been taken care of. So that no matter what's on your heart, no matter what you're going through, when you walk through, when you die and you will walk through the gates of heaven and you won't have financial problems. You won't have relationship problems. You won't have cancer. You won't have disease. You won't have paralysis. You will walk through the gates of heaven burden-free and whole because of Jesus. Last one. Let's be people, friends, who bring others to the Savior so that, they take, so that he can take care of their ultimate need. For you parents who brought your children to be baptized today, that's exactly what you did. You brought them to your Savior so he could wash them clean and announce to them that their sins are forgiven. Let's be people who bring others to Jesus because we know that he takes care of the ultimate need. And he takes care of obvious needs too. We see that as he heals the man. He cares for you in the same exact way. Let's be people who bring Jesus or bring people to Jesus who has authority to forgive sins. Let's pray. Gracious Savior, we thank you.
for your heart for sinners like us. Uh, we, we too often minimize sin and, and the damage it's done in our life and, and just how big of a problem it is. Uh, but you don't minimize it and you see the ultimate need. Uh, we thank you for loving us enough to forgive our sins, to die for us, to rise again. We thank you that you care for the physical as well. Uh, everything about us you care for. Uh, we thank you that uh, you have won eternal life for us so that one day we will walk through the gates of heaven. Uh, we will walk, we will run, and we will be burden-free with all of our problems gone uh, as we enter into your gates. And the only reason that happens is because you died and rose again, and you declare our sins are forgiven. We're so thankful for that. Uh, let that uh, declaration of forgiveness of sins uh, motivate us to run to you, to run for you, to run with you as we race to heaven. Pick us up when we fall. Remind us of your grace and your mercy. And as we continue to live in this life, let us run on the forgiveness uh, that is ours through you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.